like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here with Heather Shoemaker. Heather, Stephanie, and Jan are back with us. What are we talking about in this episode? Yeah, I'm so glad we have Jan Waters and Stephanie Rottmeyer back with us in the studio. And they are from the School for Young Children in Columbus, Ohio, my hometown and my childhood preschool. Um, And Jan and Stephanie have both been enormous mentors to legions of children parents and teachers through the decades. Both have been directors of the School for Young Children. So you are getting some real expert insight today. Um, last time we were talking about evolving, um, you know, things that they learned back when they were young and clueless parents. And let's talk a little bit about um, parents who are worried about what's the point of a preschool that focuses on social and emotional learning and academics are all that matters. I'm so worried that my two and a half year old, three and a half year old does not read yet. Um, what, <laughs> what are people, um, what are, what's the fear here and, and how do you begin to address it? Well, first of all, I think the most important thing for parents to know is that reading to your children is the single most thing you can do to get them interested in printed word. And, um, if they do that, their brain doesn't have to ha- have certain development to listen to a story. They love it. They, they want you to read more. They want you to read the same story <laughs> to your cross-eyed. No, but um, knowing what they're probably doing well, I think to focus on that first is great. And then trying to tell them that it's different being in a class of kids, in a class of 14, 16, than it is being one or two children at home. And that, the, that nobody can get the attention all the time like they do at home. And um, they go to school, they learn they have to share the classroom with other children and with the teachers. And that's a biggie, because I think when it's like cultural shock, when you go from a home where everybody meets your every need to a school where you have, might have to wait a minute. It is hard for kids, especially going right into kindergarten. So I think if you have a preschool experience, it kind of eases into that. Stephanie, what do you think, you know, for people who aren't so sure there is a benefit to the social emotional? Well, I was, I was remembering as Jan was talking um, in my son Chris's first year when he was three at SYC, 
And uh, he chose to play with the water table, stand by the water table and do water things. It seemed like for the whole year to me, it seemed like he never chose anything else except standing by the water table, pouring, you know, and doing whatever activities they had at the water table. And so I remember um, worrying about that and talking at the conference and talking with the teachers about, you know, why won't he try anything else and what's wrong here. And um, I wasn't exactly worried about academics, but I was worried that he wasn't moving forward or, you know, doing more things. And uh, so it start with me, it started with the teachers really explaining to me the kinds of things he was learning as he was doing the water play. And as, some of them were academic. <laughs> some of them were about volume and, and uh, science and everything, but some of them were like he wanted to be in a, a place where he could see the whole room and see what the other kids were doing. Maybe he felt like he wasn't, you know, he felt a little shy or he didn't want to enter into play right then. So when he could watch the whole room and watch the other kids, that was something that, you know, felt good to him being in that spot. And then the other thing is, of course, other kids would come up and want to play with the water table too. So he had to figure out, you know, how he could stay there and not, uh, you know, uh, have conflicts with the other kids about sharing whatever was in the water table and all that. So there were multitudes of things that he really was learning while he was doing that, <laughs> that I didn't really understand at the time. But um, that's something I think that the school really uh, does well. And that is really works with parents um, to help them understand child development and, and what kids are learning from the things that they are choosing to do. Because they're always learning something, whatever they're doing they're when they're focused on something that they're interested in, they um, are op operating at their optimum level of learning <laughs> because they're focused and they're, they're soaking it in, whatever it is. We might not know what it is, but they are they're definitely understanding what they're trying to get out of it. <laughs> so that, that even reassures people who think well, this kid is doing, quote, nothing. They're actually doing a lot, whatever it is. And, right. and often a skilled person in early childhood can point out what the learning is. And sometimes right. even when we're mystified, if they're focused, something is going on. Right. Yeah, does, he, does he still like to pour stuff, Stephanie? Uh, I think beer. <laughs> <laughs> he lives in Wisconsin now. So. Oh, well, there you go. He's no longer three. <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah. and also for other people who, who have a, a child who might seem different at home, but uh, slips into an observer role when they're in a crowd, there's so much to watch, all the different personalities, all the different interactions. There is a lot of learning that comes through observation. Um, and some children choose to do that at first for a length of time, and some children do it for quite a long time. But um, even if you're not involved, I think in, when there's group, now we're all going to sing. Now we're all going to play with the parachute. Now we're all going to do something. A lot of kids would prefer to watch the activity from what they consider a safe emotional place and not actually touch it or join in. Yes. My daughter was like that <laughs> for a while anyway. Yeah. So what would the SYC approach be if a child is not wanting to participate? Um, because I know in a lot of programs I observe, uh, there's a forced participation. There is a, I don't care what you think, kid. I don't care what your feelings are. You're doing it because that's what everybody's doing right now. Well, one technique that we used uh, to get kids maybe into like a running room where there's a lot of movement and noise going on is to have what we call a safety corner. 
and that would be like a barricade, a divider off that they can see over and just watch. And some kids would go in there and watch all the time or for a long time anyway. And then gradually, um, often they would start playing or kids really can't play with a large group at the beginning. They can only play with one or two others. So it would make sense that uh, most kids don't go jumping in to a large group of noisy physical kids. And we give them time to get comfortable with that. And we also let them go to an area of the classroom that they feel comfortable in. So if they don't like all that noise, they can sit at a table and work at a puzzle. And it's kind of looking at the individual kid and their personality and figuring out about that child. And that's what I think uh, the teachers are so skilled at is evaluating where a kid is in their development and allowing that, not trying to rush or force kids along because it doesn't work. I could not teach Mike to read at three. <laughs> he would hate me. If I <laughs> what about um, forced teacher-led activities? Because I think mostly what you're talking about was not forcing a child to join in to play with other children, but what about something the teacher says, everybody's doing this now? I never did it. <laughs> yeah, It doesn't happen. <laughs> right. Well, I guess we have, you know, like small groups, we expect um, a group of children to go into a certain area with a certain teacher. Yeah. So that's one thing that yeah, we had to work on to, if they didn't want to come in there. You know, so that I think is um, all about building the relationship with that child too, you know, and uh, choosing uh, something that we think that child will want to do in there. <laughs> and and um, so I think that that maybe is the, the, uh, the one thing that we ask kids to do. And um, so it's, it's something you have to be gentle about and work with um, the child's interests so that you can get them interested in it. <laughs> and um, so that's one situation at SYC that I think is similar to that. Because I see it come up in other programs, um, not at the school for young children, but often with songs, you know, now we are going to sing and everybody has to sing or everybody has to dance or now we're going to do some sort of physical jumping jack thing. And, and it's very interesting because these are supposed to be fun things. And yet um, they become a militaristic in some ways of, come on, you got to you got to wiggle the worm just like everybody else is wiggling the worm. I have a story. I have a story, one year in the four-year-old class, there was a little boy who did not want to sing all year. And he would come to group time and sit there and not make a point of not singing. And I didn't care. And uh, at the end of the year, everyone left the room and he came up to me and he said, I have a song, Jan. And I said, oh, would you like to sing it? And he said, yeah, and it was like, get my coat on and go out the door. It was a made up song that he had made up that he was <laughs> singing to me. And it was a gift for me. I thought, that's wonderful. <laughs> and he was four years old. So, you know, um, I remember that one story from then. Mm -hmm. And there are children too who won't sing at school, but they go home and they know all the lyrics when they get home yeah. and, and they'll sing at the top of their lungs with their, um, with their family. So um, 
I mean, a lot of these things might have to do with not rushing. Um, how do you how do you talk with families who are worried that their kids are going to get behind and they're not developing and this isn't right and they need to hurry up? Um, how do you how do you work with that that anxiety? I don't think kids are ever behind as long as they don't have a problem in some area with learning. Um, I think if kids aren't ready for kindergarten at age five, they shouldn't go. I mean, I just think you have to wait. And the rushing, I mean, if kids learn to read by age eight, um, no matter what, if they're going to be able to learn that. And uh, I don't think you can stop them. <laughs> you know, if in some way a kid will learn to read, like I was telling you about Mike, who did not want to read at age three. The next time I asked him about reading, he was five and halfway through kindergarten. And he said, can I read a book to you? And he read a book to me. I don't, I don't know when he learned to read, <laughs> but it wasn't at age three. And it was sometime <laughs> during age five. And I, I think that's the way it goes. And I think really it's only one area of development that's cognitive development. There is physical development, emotional development, social development. And I think most parents don't value them equally. And in young children, those integrate all the time in their learning. They can't compartmentalize them out into you know, cognitive, physical, emotional, social. But we do a lot of work with parents all the time. We have parent education classes um, in the evenings and we do um, conferences anytime parents need it and want it. And uh, we do a lot of work trying to help parents understand child development so that they're not so panicky. And um, so we, I think it's all about relationship, having a really strong relationship with the families and working together on whatever the issues are. You know, because everybody's different. And when you meet somebody like yourself from years and years ago who, who might say no weapons or you must share or um, um, asking, demanding polite words at all times, uh, how long after they've gotten into the SYC world, how long does it take many parents to get used to these ideas and sort of get it second nature? I mean, is this a a couple month process? Does it take years? Does it take several children? <laughs> uh, what have you seen as far as, I think I see a lot of parents who feel like when faced with uh, the wisdom of a book, like it's okay not to share, they, they start to feel insignificant that they can't possibly know all this. How does somebody else make it seem so easy? Um, how long does it take people? And, and um, can you rush as a parent your own development if you're not comfortable with weapons or you're not comfortable with not having them say please and thank you? I don't think you can rush parents either, but you can listen, <laughs> you know, and you can give them maybe another perspective. Um, and I remember there was one family who did not want their little boy to uh, play with weapons. And he came over and he had like a toy wooden gun in his hand or something. And he said, this isn't a gun. So <laughs> he, had that, he knew he wasn't supposed to play with guns and he called the school gun something else. And he adjusted, I, you know, I don't know 
what happened to him later, but as far as I know, he was fine. And he just, he, so whatever parents think their kids are learning, it probably isn't so. The kids want to be good for the parents, or most of the time they do. And uh, parents need to understand that kids are just developing and they have to try out ideas to see what works for them. And if they want to play with a toy gun, you know, we don't have guns at school now because now it's really not okay. But I bet you I would still like Mike, let Mike play with the toy gun if he was at my house today. The other thing we do is- Because I don't think it's the issue parents think it is. Right. And we don't have guns in our house. You know, that's the other thing. There are not, not real guns in our house, but lots of houses have a gun. So I don't know. Yeah. The, the other thing that crossed my mind was how we get parents together, just parent coffees and parent groups meet together on their own. And so sometimes parents will bring their issues up in those parent groups so that, and they become real support groups for each other. And uh, so that is another aspect for that. What are some things you both mentioned in the last episode that you started off as parents who didn't know a whole bunch about child development, and now you know you have uh, university training and all sorts of things about um, theory and child development. What sort of things did you find were really reinforced by the play, the, the SYC philosophy when you went back to school and studied it all officially? what really seemed like, oh yeah, this is this is how we do it. And now I know why, or is there something you can bring out from that? Because really, even though it works and when you first walked in the door, you liked it, now we have a better understanding of, of, of brains and, and development and all the stages and so on. Yeah, I'm trying to think of an example, Heather. Um, Stephanie, you think faster than me. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I just think that for me, one of the biggest things in my learning um, from my education with it was, uh, was to um, discover what kids were learning when they were doing different activities, because I didn't naturally know that. So I think that that's something that really came with my studying. Um, and uh, so that was helpful to me as a teacher, because then I could explain it to parents. <laughs> because before that, I was really pretty clueless about, you know, what was really happening. And um, so, you know, that's, um, that's for me, I think was my biggest learning. But there, where I went to school for my master's, there was such support for the emotional and social uh, development yes. area that um, it really, you know, made me feel wonderful about what we were doing. And I know not everybody gets that same situation, <laughs> but, uh, but that was great for me. And I think I learned a lot about emotions and emotions in young children, which meant emotions within me. And I, I learned to accept, for instance, anger. Anger was a normal feeling. And I'm sure that I was raised to think anger was bad. And so helping children have all of their feelings, but not hurting people because they're mad, you know, it's like, it's okay to have the feeling, but what you do about it, you have to be uh, careful. And, I think a lot of parents have issues with angry children and crying children and things that are seen somewhat as negative. And I think we can help parents a lot with that. 
And um, the sharing thing, we had a parent ed one time and we were talking about how you shouldn't make kids share. And then I said, does anybody have some lipstick I could borrow? I feel like I need some, and I went out into the audience trying to borrow somebody's lipstick and trying to illustrate that there are things you don't want to share. <laughs> and, um, you know, people like stuff like that, then they get it. You know, that's a real life example of uh, something. Our staff used to love to do skits, you know, for the for education and in orient, parent orientation night, we would do skits being children and teachers to show uh, different situations that uh, uh, like that. It was much more fun being a child. <laughs> I bet you were good at throwing a little um, yeah, angry oh, fit. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jan, did anyone ever lend you their lipstick or you never got any? No. <laughs> no, not, they didn't, <laughs> but it made the point. <laughs> I, I never I share mine. Point. Probably Stephanie. <laughs> Let me her chapstick one time if I needed it. <laughs> but only if she wanted to. Yeah. Well, I love that story because I think it helps us realize how much we expect of little people, three-year-olds and four-year-olds, that we would never expect of ourselves or our family or friends who are adults. Right. And that we expect them to to do to have such a higher standard of behavior and and manners and sharing and all these things when they have fewer skills to cope with all those situations. I think I, that illustrates respect for the children too, and I think maybe that's what I was seeing the first time I went into SYC is how the teachers respected the children like that. So. Yeah, and another thing you'll find when you go into SYC is people don't talk in high squeaky fake voices. It's all daisies and sunshine and talking about all their friends. And um, it's just, they're talking in regular voices and as if they are people and as if the children are people. And it's funny, I, I don't hear the guys doing this as much, Jeff, going in that high squeaky voice, but I hear a lot of women who work with younger children go into this really fake persona when they're um, speaking to a young child. You know who hates that? Usually boys. They <laughs> quit listening. <laughs> they, they don't pay any attention. You know, they don't like that either, I don't think. Well, I, Although I mean, it's getting more and more that girls and boys are more the same to me. Well, I, I think when kids really we started teaching there they, was they a line that was not authentic. What? Yeah. They tune into the, it's not authentic. They, yeah, I mean, right. they, they get right. that really exactly. quick. Yeah. yeah. At really young ages. Well, we're nodding. <laughs> we're nodding to the pod listeners. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> any more wonderful world, words of wisdom to wrap up here? Um, what do you wish that your younger self had known about kids and child development? And what would you like to tell families today um, as they go through this journey? I know I would say get a good book on child development, especially at the preschool level and read it so you know what to expect from children. Because I think parents don't know what to expect and have all these standards. Is there no way the child's gonna be able to meet the standards like that? And watch, observe your children. To me, kids are fun to watch and see what they're doing. And 
how they're interacting and what they're playing with. Yeah. And you can get so much support too from um, hanging around with other parents and um, mm -hmm. hearing their problems. And so it sort of uh, orients you into, you know, what's normal and what's not normal, which mostly everything is normal. <laughs> so, but that's what it helps you if you have friends and uh, other parents around you with the same age kids really a lot. Well, um, I like, I, I didn't set you up to say that, Jan, but since you said get a good book on, you know, child <laughs> development, um, for people who would like to get It's Okay Not to Share, you will find both Jan Waters and Stephanie Rottmeyer quoted in the book. They are some of the people who um, add life and anecdotes to the stories and chapters. So if you haven't got one already, go ahead and pick up a copy of It's Okay Not to Share. And you'll, you feel like you'll know Jan and Stephanie because here they are on the podcast. So thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. It was fun. You're welcome. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, everybody. This has been another episode of Renegade Rules. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye. Bye. And -bye. Bye. <laughs> there's that. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh. Hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.